0: Hello and welcome. My name is Dawson Church, and I am so delighted to welcome you here. By being here, you are making a declaration. And that declaration is, I treasure myself enough to fill my mind and my heart with positive media, positive experiences, positive inputs. And what we'll discover today is when you make that choice to tune your consciousness, tune your awareness, To all of those characteristics of positivity, to compassion, to gratitude, to love, to joy. When you make that choice to tune your awareness in those directions rather than all the other million things that can make you worried, stressed, and upset. Week, I'm so struck as I just review about a hundred or so studies building for the last while on just what positive effect. And we'll discover here with our guest today that we can deliberately. Engage those mechanisms for enhanced health, enhanced happiness, enhanced well being, and enhanced longevity. My guest today is Shamini Jain. She is the founder of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. She's a primary researcher, but she also is a real integrator of the research of others, including me. And through her website, Chi, that's Chi.is, Chi.is, get it? If not, get it? <laughs> <laughs> CHI.is. She brings together all kinds of threads of evidence for the the remarkable new field of energy healing. Her new book, new book is called Healing Ourselves Biofield Science and the Future of Health. It's really a tour de force. It's well written, it's clear, and it incorporates human stories and incorporates all the latest research. Shamani, I am so thrilled.
1: Thank you, Dawson. I am so thrilled to be with you. It's always so much fun to get together with you. You are just such a light of joy and bliss and hope. And it's an honor to be sitting with you right now.
0: The only thing I don't like about getting together with you, Shamani, is we can never stop. Like, we'll start. (laughs) about something. <laughs> or letting me realize, oh, my goodness, we have a class to teach or whatever it is.
1: So. <laughs> yes, I treasure that. And I'll, I'll treasure the times that we can teach together in person again, that will be really wonderful. And hopefully those times are coming closer.
0: Yes, it'll happen. And I'm just so glad you put together so many threads of this knowledge in the new book, because it really does Paint a comprehensive picture of the state of the art, the state of the field, and also gives it flesh and blood with so many human examples. And so I know you've labored long and hard to make these ideas understandable. And so let's just, just dive, into, dive into the deep end with the whole idea of the biofield. And I I love the way in chapter one, you talk about how the biofield is a concept and a term broad enough to encompass ancient forms, ancient ideas of healing, ancient concepts of healing, as well as really obvious modern ones, like heals we measure with EEGs and MRIs. So go ahead, let's just look at this whole phenomenon of the human and the energy field that surrounds all living things.
1: You bet, Dawson, and I appreciate your words about being an integrator. I think we're all integrators. I think we're all coming to a time of integration. And what's so wonderful is when we begin to really take in and embrace these multiple streams of wisdom, we really start being able to put the whole picture together on healing. And so it's been, you know, it's been a privilege in my life's journey to be able to do that. And I'm really excited about putting it together for the book. So the biofield is kind of a westernized term, right? It's a term that Western scientists kind of put together a couple of decades ago at a National Institutes of Health meeting. Several of our colleagues were there, like Beverly Rubick and others, who played a really seminal role. You know, that is, they played a really important role in bringing this understanding of the biofield, which I describe as fields of energy and information that connect us and heal us. And so it's wonderful because as we begin to put these pieces together, we realize we can study the biofield of a cell, we can study the biofield of a person, of a tree. But not only that, we can study the biofield between things, between people, between us and the earth, between cells. And there's so much wonderful work that's going on looking at these fields of energy and information and what they can mean for our healing process. And I love it because, you know, a lot of it, as you mentioned, some of this is considered mainstream and a lot of it isn't. And and as you know, particularly the subtle aspects, which pretty much comprise most of the human healing work that we do in modern times, but it's still based in very ancient indigenous traditions as well. You know, those are the things that still kind of raise the woo-woo flag with the mainstream, you know, media and the mainstream scientists. And yet, as you can see from the evidence that we've compiled in this book, it's very real. It's very real. So, whether we're talking about aspects of the biofield that we can measure, like electromagnetic emanations or magnetoencephalograms, where we put magnets off of the body now, not just even the head, but there are researchers at MIT that are actually looking at the magnetic fields around the entire body to help determine our state of health. Okay, so that's kind of going on in biofield science. But we have also been studying, you know, as a collective, including you, Dawson, and so many of us, these biofields therapies these healing therapies that work with the subtle aspects of the biofield that we don't really measure directly but we can measure their effects as you know from some of your work all the way down to epigenetic signaling right so that's also very real and we can study the impact of those therapies and it's quite profound when we do
0: and we can't see those fields but we can measure their effects and that's what's so powerful about modern research is we can't often, we can't, they aren't visible to us, they aren't something as obvious as a pill or surgery, and yet we can measure their effects on patients, we can measure their psychological effects, we can measure their physical effects. And what I'm struck by too, Shamani, is some of these studies are showing that the size of those effects is enormous. Just to give us an idea of the potential here, in the very first part of the book, you share the case history of a two and a half year old called Mira. I'd love you to tell that story to everyone.
1: You bet. And Dawson, you know, I've actually asked David, Mira's father, to do a video interview with me for the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. Because as you can imagine, when you read that story, it's quite remarkable. And I just want to point out that these stories, they really are real, but they're not often documented in the literature. I'm actually going to talk to David. And I don't know what the, you know, if there's statutes of limitations on these kinds of things, but I'm going to encourage him to talk with his doctor to file a retrospective case report on this, because it really, you know, I have had reporters and others question whether the story is real <laughs> because it's not in the literature. And it is. So what is the story? Well, in a nutshell, I met Thaven at a party in San Diego. It was my first time meeting him. It was a dinner party. And for some reason, he had no idea what I did. He didn't know I studied healing. He didn't know I'd been studying it for decades. He didn't know I run randomized placebo-controlled trials on healing, none of that. But for some reason, he felt compelled to tell me the story of his daughter as soon as he met me. And we sat down in the kitchen and he said, I want to tell you about my daughter, Mira. And Mira was two and a half years old when her parents noticed she, she started throwing up. Well, you know, nobody likes to see that in their kid. It's a common symptom. Unfortunately, they ate something, you know, maybe they have a bug and whatever. So, you know, they did what normal parents would do and they, you know, made sure she was hydrated and made sure she was, you know, limiting her foods until whatever it was that upset her stomach went away. Only it didn't away. And after a few days, when they realized she wasn't stopping throwing up, they took her to the doctor and had the shock of their life that essentially what they thought was maybe the flu or maybe some gastrointestinal issue or something turned out to be a brain tumor. And there was no family history. There was no explanation for why this brain tumor had occurred. So naturally, you know, they took swift action. They went for conventional treatment, they went for allopathic treatment. Mira had radiation at that tender young age, and it seemed like that helped reduce the tumor. Until about six months later or so, the tumor reappeared, but this time in a place around the brain stem where the doctors realized they couldn't operate. And so they said to them, We're, you know, we're really sorry. There's nothing we can do, we can't operate, she'll die. Um, And we think maybe she's got six months to live. So you can imagine how devastated they were. And they started searching for answers, trying to figure out what they could do, was there anything they could do, You know, what could they do environmentally, diet, all these things. And they had a friend come to them and say, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but I know a healer in Israel And in the book, as you know, Dawson, I described the healer story herself, which is so remarkable how she came to feel like she ended up having these abilities um, to heal. She was, you know, a child survivor of the Holocaust in a nutshell, but they, they decided to just try it because they said, what do we have to lose? You know, we've never tried anything like this before. So they called this woman and they said, do you think you could work with us and our daughter? And the first thing she did, which I find so remarkable. And I have seen over and over with every healing practitioner from every tradition that I've talked to, is she explained to them what healing is, that healing was not curing, that she couldn't guarantee that Mira's tumor would go away, but that it was really up to Mira because what this, quote, healer was doing was really facilitating healing. She wasn't doing the healing, and a lot of healing practitioners say this, I'm not doing the healing. Please don't call me a healer. A lot of them don't even like the term, right? She said, I'm going to work with Mira's spirit. I'm going to work energetically on the energetic and spiritual level to reconnect her with her soul. That's how she described it. Some people say soul, spirit, God, higher self, lots of different ways of describing it. Ultimately, she said, it will be Mira's decision to decide whether this tumor should go away and what, you know, she wants her life to be like. But I can. Tell you, here's some things you can do to foster harmony. And so she guided them on, you know, just keeping a clean and healthy environment, reducing emotional toxicity, all the things that they could do to help facilitate a healing response in Mira. And she worked with Mira for several months. And they noticed that Mira's, you know, symptoms seemed to be subsiding a little bit. And, you know, they, they were very, of course, you could say pleased, because Mira seemed to be at that, you know, tender young age, more peaceful. You know all these things about six months later so they went to the doctors and the doctors were shocked because the tumor was completely gone i mean it was completely gone and and they said what did you do and they explained you know what they were doing and the healer they were seeing and the doctor said well you know we're not averse to believing in miracles this is certainly a miracle (laughs) so then i think you know researchers like you and i come in and we say well was it a miracle Absolutely. Life is a miracle. Creation is a miracle. But why do we continue to just take in these stories like they're anomalies and not look more deeply into them to say, what is going on? Mira's story is one of many. And now, as you know, and as I detail in the book, we're seeing effects of energy healing in cancer models with cells and animals all the way down to cytokine levels, tumor shrinkage, protein kinase signaling levels. You know, we can get all into that later if we want. This is not an anomaly in the way that we talk about it. It could certainly be a miracle, but we could be working to help make miracles like this happen more often and potentially side by side with what we know about the best medicine. As you know, Dawson, I'm a big both and proponent, right? we're not talking about either or let's step out of that 20th century thinking that tells us we have to do this or that you know let's move beyond it we're whole beings we're a whole system and Mira's story teaches us how powerful it is when we have these abilities to connect with the spirit and facilitate that spiritual connection in others that it could literally be life-saving i mean that is a miracle right and it's very very real
0: it's real. And the other amazing thing about what the research is showing is that it's repeatable. And not it's not repeatable in the sense that an assembly line is repeatable. It's repeatable in the sense that it's teachable. And here's one of the many areas of my life, Shamini, where I was totally wrong. So in 19... 19- like 85, 89, I was writing for the whole life times. And I was saying, well, we know there are these gifted healers like the one that worked with Mira, but it's a gift. It's a mysterious gift. There's no way it's teachable or systematizable. And then people like Donnie Eden came along and showed that I was totally wrong. practitioners who are being minted at the rate of, I I, I looked up the other day and they're like, 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 there's been like 4 million Reiki practitioners in the US. Mm. And so people learn these techniques and then they, they, they repeat them. I know in my own field of EFT and energy psychology, we just have highly consistent results practitioner by practitioner and the very, very different people from very, very different backgrounds. And yet you just do the techniques and those techniques tend to reduce the effects. So that's the other encouraging thing is when we do get smart enough to study healing and healers, we find that there are teachable repeatable systems. Bill, Bill Bankston now working with his cycling technique, Don Eden, of course, Barbara Brennan and that whole school in energy psychology, we have thought field therapy and EFT, other techniques we teach people. And we know we can then, people ask me, you know, Dawson, tell me who who on EFT Universe, who which of your practitioners is really good? And I say, hey, if they're there, they've gone through a third training, and they're good. They know the basic stuff. So that's the other thing that as a smart society, the, the next job we have, besides integrating it with conventional medicine, is also making it repeatable that way, trainable, mm-hmm. repeatable, have access to it.
1: Absolutely. I I so agree with you, Dawson. And there's so many approaches. And, you know, they're in time honored spiritual traditions. Laying on of hands, for example, is, you know, practice in the Christian tradition. There's pranic healing. There's Joe Ray. There's, you know, there's so many traditions that have had this as part of the culture. There are these modern practices like pranic healing, which is a, a modern practice, of course, healing touch. So many, so many of these, as you know, have been adopted by nursing professionals. One of the keys for us at the consciousness and healing Healing initiative is you know Dawson you may remember that about a year ago before the book came out <laughs> I was a little distracted because we were putting together a massive report on the field and for that we interviewed over 60 stakeholders in the field healing practitioners scientists educators policy folks thinking about how do we move this system from a disease care system to a true health empowerment system. And so we recognize that there are two main pathways for that, right? There's healthcare and like, as you say, integrating these practices into the hospitals, into the clinics. And then there's self-care, teaching our teaching our folks how to do it themselves, how to work with others, but also work on ourselves, which is such a wonderful practice, you know, in energy psychology. So there are these two vectors. And we identified these key transformation points that we can all come together and leverage and sort of move to dial in the system towards this better health and healing. And, And that's a lot of what we do at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. We build communities. We have a scientific advisory council that comes together because they need support, even just moral support, honestly, sometimes to talk about the struggles that they're going through, trying to conduct the research, getting funding. And then even when they get the funding, sometimes the pushback they get from chief scientific officers or, you know, people that are sort of more in the mainstream aspects of academia or hospital systems. So we support them. We also bring together healing practitioners to address some of the key issues that are facing us right now. And I don't know how much we want to get into this, but we are going to be addressing some of the key legislation issues that are facing some of the healing practitioners that are very important for healing practitioners to know about and have a balanced viewpoint on. So when we address these key levers and essentially come together, as a community right then we're able to cohesively share what this practice is because let's face it for people who don't practice energy healing or haven't really had an energy healing session it still seems very mysterious and to some people very abstract right it's like the bio field what is that that's so abstract oh my god that's almost as abstract as consciousness you know what's that <laughs> and yet these practices like you're saying dawson these teachable practices tapping the stuff that donna eden's doing even the work that i've learned from my healing teacher Reverend Rosalind Bruyere, and her school is more of a mystery school, you know, she's not, she's not necessarily teaching to all of the masses, that hasn't been her choice point, and yet her process in many ways is systematic and is also mysterious and beautifully spiritual. They are all teachable practices and we can do them of course for ourselves and one of my passions for the biofield is also helping people realize we all have a biofield it's dynamic it's working with us all the time and even if we're not trained yet in any of those practices if we decide we don't want to do it gee we're working with our biofield when we practice yoga when we practice meditation when we chant when we chant a mantra even an affirmation even when we tune into our emotions we can tap into our biofield at any time and we can tap into the shared biofield with another person to understand what's going on in that dynamic in that relationship we can even tap into the biofield of the earth and regenerate ourselves by connecting with the biofield of the earth consciously lovingly it's just the biofield perspective is so beautiful and i feel like so needed for our times because it really helps us understand we don't end at our skin. We're yes, we're material bodies, but we're bioenergetic beings that are deeply connected with each other.
0: Absolutely. And interconnected with all forms of life. We're gonna to go to a break in a moment, but um I one of my favorite things I do sometimes in live workshops, either live in person or live virtual, is I hook people up to a heart rate variability monitor, they get them into deep heart coherence. Now they're Breathing really is regular, and all the dials on the machine show green. People are really in this deeply relaxed state. Then I say, think a negative thought. <laughs> oh. and all the dials turned red just with one negative thought. So that's self care. That's what we can do practically to really shift ourselves every moment of every day. Our consciousness is having a direct effect on our biofield bio and our cells. We're only going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a short while, for more on Shamini's work, go to our website, chi, chi, dot I-S. We'll be right back after a break. <music> Hello and welcome back. I'm Dawson Church. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And for more on Shamani and her new book, Healing Ourselves, go to the website Healingourselvesbook.com. Healingourselvesbook.com. You'll get some free downloads there, more about her and her work. And that's a place you can go to really branch out into what she's offering. All of that at healingourselvesbook.com. So we began to talk about that word consciousness. Now, consciousness, of course, has a lot of baggage attached to it in the research community. 20 years ago, no one researched consciousness. One researcher told me, if I was researching consciousness, my colleagues would pretty much put me in a straitjacket and send me off to a, 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 (laughs) a, a safe location. But now it's debated and researched. And yet, it strikes me, Chamonix, when I read the research, read the, the discussion about consciousness, it's still very mechanistically based. People talk about it as being an epiphenomenon of a highly evolved complex brain and so on. And uh, <laughs> so let's just, let's just share, because you talk a lot in the book about what your view is of consciousness, how it interacts with the biofield. its role
1: in feeling thank you dawson you know it's so as you know i joke about this in the book because academics have a way of making everything sound really difficult complicated and unreachable (laughs) so you know there's so many isms now panpsychism emergentism you know uh, reductionism like all these isms to you know kind of put these labels on what we think consciousness is and so in that way we can say I like to say we can study, just like the biofield, and we can talk about this too, we can study consciousness on the little c level, which means attention, awareness, you know, the subconscious, the waking conscious. There are all these little different ways that we can parcel out aspects of little c consciousness and study them in science and debate about them in philosophy, right? So there's a lot of that going on. But again, when it's it's interesting to me because when I explore the integration of those perspectives with some of the ancient perspectives, which really kind of underlie all ancient cultures as I understand it, you know, not just one. It's fairly simple because they talk about a big C consciousness, and that's basically oneness. So I describe it, of course, from the Vedantic or Tantric and even the Jan point of view to some degree. And this, this sense of oneness, this big C consciousness... Is an understanding that we are beyond our conditioned mind body and emotion essentially so that's number one that all these little c consciousness aspects that we're studying are actually part of our conditioned selves but the oneness is sort of beyond that and we're all part of it we can imagine this big beautiful tapestry that is interwoven with each individual quote self right but we're all part of this big beautiful golden tapestry of light right that's the way oneness could be described. And it sounds almost ineffable, but many spiritual adepts from cultures all over the world have described the qualities of this consciousness. And in Vedantic terms, it's described as sat-chit-anand, pure truth and consciousness, that is truth from many perspectives coming together as one truth, pure consciousness, and I know you'll appreciate this, of course, Dawson, the anand part, which is pure bliss. Whoa! Well, wait a minute. You mean the essence of who we are, our actual consciousness, our birthright, is blissful in nature? And yes, it is. And they use the word bliss, you know, or it's translated, let's say, as bliss, you know, in the English language, Anun. And and that I find really wonderful, especially in this day and age, when so many of us are suffering from so many emotional afflictions that we like to call mental disorders. Again, we mentalize everything in the West, right? We don't say we're having emotional imbalances. We say we're having mental disorders. You know, so, yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's It's much deeper than that, of course, and yet we know that That's a process that we're going through as a humanity. Why? Because, you know, and this is my personal view. One of the reasons is because we have been cut off from our spirit in so many avenues of life. We can't talk about spirit in science. We can't talk about spirit in medicine. We can't talk about spirit in in most education settings, you know? So we have this sense that we have this private spiritual life. We can go to church or temple and, and we can explore it there. We can explore it in personal practice. But this idea of studying consciousness or even talking about or exploring spirit is off limits in science for a long time and to some degree still is. And yet now there is research demonstrating the impact of what we might call spiritual resilience, right? Or a sense of our spiritual nature, extraordinary spiritual experiences. And these are all coming back to experiencing that ineffable aspect. Of the big C consciousness. And what's interesting, tying this into healing, is that when we talk with healers, again, this is what this is how they say healing works, right? That's the connection. That's why I say the biofield is the bridge that connects consciousness with healing. Because when we work on the energetic level, we're opening ourselves to the spiritual level, if we want to call it that, the big sea consciousness, we're expanding our consciousness to move beyond the conditioned self, beyond the conditioned mind, where we can gain perspectives on trauma, we can release patterns and habits and trauma traumatic events that no longer serve us because we're literally filled with a larger well of energy of our true being that's such the none. so you know that's kind of the eastern perspective and my personal perspective of how healing is actually working and you know then there are details <laughs> a lot of the biofield you know we can study a lot of details around it but truly and, and this is funny Dawson i know you'll appreciate this i'll just tell you this really quick story and the listeners here because i'm sure all of you probably know who Deepak Chopra is the first time i met him we had a long conversation i felt totally grilled from the inside out by the way was <laughs> like. Totally turned inside out in that conversation. I was fundraising for a biofield meeting, and he heard about the meeting and called me in because he wanted to know more and talk about it. This was in 2014, I think, or 2013. And we had this long conversation, and I explained my passion for the biofield and biofield studies and things like that. And he sat and he said, "Shamini, this is all great, and I totally want to support you in your efforts and what you're doing with the biofield, and we'll support this meeting." But you know, in the end, Shamini, it's all really about consciousness. <laughs> so. It's it's interesting because at the time I was like, okay, Deepak, I know, you know, you, your your focus is really on consciousness, but the biofield is important. And now what I've come to realize over these years is they really, they work together. The biofield leads us to consciousness. Yes. And and as we tap in with consciousness, our biofields change as well.
0: Yes. And again, now we're starting to map that and measure that and study that and get numerical quantification of how that that works. We're going to go to a break right now for more on Shamani's book, for more on her work and for some free downloads go to her website, healingourselvesbook.com. That's healingourselvesbook.com. Also, if you do buy her book and enjoy it, I want to ask you to please leave her a five-star review on Amazon. Now, I'm saying that because Amazon has rules, and one of the rules of Amazon's reviews is that Shamani cannot ask you to leave her a review at all, let alone a five-star review. But I can. <laughs> so I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Dawson. I appreciate that.
0: Yes. Show your appreciation by going on Amazon and leaving a five-star review for Healing Ourselves. Even when people give me books or I get books from the publishers, I order them on Amazon myself. I pay for them. So I can leave a verified purchaser review on Amazon so I invite you to do the same thing. And again, leave her that review, five-star review, and also check out her website, healingourselvesbook.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so delighted you're here. I'm so delighted you're honoring yourself by filling your mind with positive thoughts and interactions here on the show, do it every week. Go to Shalini's website, healingourselvesbook.com, for more on her work, for some free downloads, and to actually order your copy of Healing Ourselves. It truly is a wonderful book. You'll find it's well organized, it's clear, it's compelling, it's passionate, and it shows you the evidence. It's not a book that asks you to take us all on faith. It's a book that really clearly outlines what the science, of the current science is. And I can tell you with science, we are just getting going. There's a lot more to come. So, Shamini, go ahead and cover for us what some of the most lineage research is into the biofield and how it works.
1: Love to, Dawson. Thanks so much for the question. You know, first of all, I want to address this idea that there is no evidence or that there aren't studies. There are actually over 400 clinical studies with these healing therapies, these biofield therapies across the board, many different traditions. And A few years ago, I actually compiled the data from many of these clinical studies using kind of rigorous criteria for what's called a systematic review, where we bring together studies and we evaluate them for quality, and then we evaluate them for outcomes. And what we found across the board when we looked at those were effects, you know, significant effects on pain, anxiety for hospitalized populations, promise for dementia, promise for symptoms and cancer. And since that review, we've had several randomized controlled trials for patients in cancer with you know with women actually and one of those was done by me at ucsd so i was very interested in this question of placebo and at that time, and I ran a randomized placebo-controlled trial looking at a hands-on healing intervention for fatigue breast cancer survivors. And I detail this in the book and it's published actually in the journal Cancer, which is widely read by oncologists, you know. So that was really great that we got it there because it was a placebo control trial. Lots to talk about there, uh, but I was happy to publish it there. So you can read about the deep details of the study there. But in a nutshell, what we found was that placebo effects did not explain the physiology. Not only did we see these robust decreases in fatigue for these fatigue breast cancer survivors, which were significant, not just statistically, but Dawson, like we talked about earlier, clinically significant, really large effect sizes. These women had debilitating levels of fatigue where they couldn't even function. And they had been living like this for some time. By the end of one month of receiving eight sessions of hands-on healing, they had dropped to fatigue levels down to what you would expect for the person walking down the street. But not only that, their cortisol rhythms got more regulated and that's a really important biomarker. It turns out it's related to fatigue, depression and one study has even found it related to mortality for breast cancer patients. So what we noticed was it was only the women receiving healing that saw a normalization of these cortisol rhythms and I was fascinated and also very skeptical honestly when I saw it and I threw in every variable I could think of and I detail this in, in my chapter. I couldn't make the effect go away. Later, I learned of the work that my colleague Susan Lukendorf was doing at the University of Iowa, where she was looking at healing touch for women receiving chemo radiation at the time. And she also found a unique effect of healing touch on the physiology, where it was only women receiving the healing touch, not relaxation or usual care, that showed a maintenance in natural killer cell function during chemo radiation. So their immune system didn't decline in that measure the way you would expect it to during chemo radiation. It was like an immune resilience effect. Fast forward to some of the most amazing work that's going on now, in my opinion, with some of the emitted bioenergy, looking at this in cells and in animals. This is happening at MD Anderson Cancer Center under the direction of Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, a dear colleague and friend and part of our Scientific Advisory Council. And Lorenzo has already published two studies in peer-reviewed journals showing that emitted bioenergy is affecting tumor size and tumor migration all the way down to cytokine levels, that is immune transmitter levels in these cells, affecting the same subsets You know, in these replicated experiments. And now he's actually also finding that this is specifically found all the way down to signaling molecules that are very relevant to cancer. What's fascinating, Dawson, is that these signaling molecule changes have also been found in studies at Harvard with Qigong patients. And in other studies, so we're beginning to see this physiological pattern. It does seem like energy healing is getting all the way under the skin, affecting cell signaling, and it doesn't seem to be a, a, explained by what we call placebo effects. So it's absolutely amazing. And as you say, Dawson, we're just getting going with this.
0: Yeah, and of course, the, we can tell at the level of the large and the patient experience. And so we, we see people feeling better. And they just tell you they feel better. And by the way, there are studies showing that how good you feel subjectively is actually a really good proxy for your overall health down to the lowest level. But then we go, we drill down into these really detailed levels of cell biology for things like those, those signaling molecules or enzymes or gene expression. And it's amazing to see the effects. I'm actually getting chills as I say this, Shamini. Mm-hmm. I, I see the effects on things like these molecules. And these are at the level of the very small. So writ large, it's how well do you feel. Writ small, it's all of these these physiological processes happening in your cells, and that's where research is going. It used to be psychological. It used to be about your levels of mood. Now it's about what's going on deep in your body, and it's con- it's confirming that whether you measure at the level of mood, whether you measure the level of cells, that there are these extremely important and Visible changes visible to science, measurable changes happening at the level of your physiology
1: It's so amazing and it, and why you might ask how does that happen? Well, because we're an interconnected system, right, so we're experiencing these wonderful changes all the way on the mental emotional levels, but also on the cellular level it's It's really wonderful and and of course, it echoes what many healers have said that people used to you know sort of scoff at some scientists. I'm working all the way down to the DNA level. And as you know, <laughs> Dawson, from your work, it seems like that is actually happening.
0: Yeah, happening down at the level of gene expression. And I was just amazed to do those first studies on, on gene expression and find that we, you know, we there was every reason to suppose that it would be affecting gene expression because it was affecting hormones. And of course, those hormones, the result of are synthesized by genes, by, by the action of genes. So it seemed reasonable that that actually, See those first results, and then now we're seeing just a, an amplification of that, of that research, all confirming the effects of healing, energy, and consciousness on on the body. So, uh, we're into this really powerful, enormously promising new phase of research, and I know that we're just scratching the surface to be much more of it in the future. We're going to take a break right now, but please stay tuned, and in the meantime, go to Shamani's website, which is Healing ourselves com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're just steeping your awareness in Positive messages, positive ideas. It's really making a difference all the way down to the level of yourselves, as we saw in the last segment. For more on Shamini's new book, Healing Ourselves, go to her website, healingourselvesbook.com. Shamani, we mentioned earlier that there are now these practices that people use. Like I do it, have an EFP certification, and we put people through this training in 48 clinical EFP techniques and they come out the other end 12 months later, and they can just do this stuff. It's just remarkable to see them learning these things fairly mechanically at first, afterwards with more proficiency, but then they're working with clients and they're seeing the same results as someone who's been doing it for a long time. We know there's Don Eden. We know there are schools of Reiki and Ray healing touch, therapeutic touch. And they just share with us about these practices we're now seeing that are able to be taught and then use, and then hopefully enter mainstream as if you get a dermatologist or if you get an oncologist, you know what they do. And I'd love to see the day when an energy psychology practitioner or a Reiki practitioner is given that same level of professional respect.
1: Absolutely. There's so many beautiful trainings, you know, and practices that are teaching us how to specifically work with biofield patterns in the body. And what's fascinating about this Dawson is many people see the field differently. They experience it differently. Some describe it as a unified field. Some describe it as, you know, multi layered, many different ways of tapping into this. What I have a passion for at this moment is helping people simply tap into their biofield. And what I've discovered in talking with all of these healing practitioners, as there's so much that we can do just in our basic self-care, working with the biofield, we may choose to get a training where we can really uplevel our ability to work with the biofield to help heal another person, but we can really work with it here and now to up-level our own healing. And, and that's why I decided to make the third part of my book, The Healing Keys. So as you know, Dawson, the first couple of parts of the book really detail the science and the ancient philosophies behind the biofield, consciousness, and healing. But the third part is really practical because what I've learned from my work in clinical psychology as a clinical psychologist and a researcher in psychoneuroimmunology and a healing student and a practitioner is that there are just some basic keys that we can all tap into at any time to facilitate our healing and our well-being. It's so important. So what are those keys? You know, in a nutshell, they are first grounding for vitality. That is bioenergetically Connecting with the earth and really getting in our bodies. And I really learned this from Rosalind, who taught me what it means to be a grounded healer. That is to really be in my body when I'm running energy. And I noticed such a huge difference. So I have some practices related to, you know, grounding. How do we ground and actually allow for spirit to come fully into the body through grounding practices? The second is probably pretty obvious to most of us, and that's to flow with emotions. Emotions are energy. And as we begin to open to the emotional energy that flows through us, you know, like ripples and waves through our bodies, through our biofields, and we don't repress them. We don't force them. We don't do anything. We start realizing how we can harness that energy and watch it wax and wane. And when we do that, we begin to also tap into our creativity, which is a huge healing key because there is a well, a reservoir of amazing creative energy, creative energy strong enough to create life itself. Right. And and that's our birthright as well. So when we begin to tap into creativity and there's a lot of science behind this, we begin to really up level our mental and emotional and physical health. So the third healing key is really draws from what we learn about placebo. And that's a very nuanced topic that we can talk about again and also at another time. But that's really harnessing our healing intention by understanding what our healing desire is, holding it. And embracing it, not you know, trying to push it down or say, I don't want that or feel guilty or shame about that, but just knowing what that is and uniting our mind and our vital force to really help facilitate a powerful healing intention for ourselves or someone else. The next healing key is connecting, really opening our hearts to connecting with ourselves, connecting with each other, and also connecting with spirit. And there's some wonderful practices that we can all do to really enhance that level of connection which is honestly some of our biggest biggest healing is really through that power of connection and and gratitude and forgiveness all of that plays a role in opening our heart to connection and then the final key maybe actually the most powerful and that's surrender and a lot of times we forget this i want what i want i want it now you know all of these things but we forget that process of surrender is what actually allows us to fully expand into that greater sea consciousness that we talked about earlier. So we surrender the details, we get in our bodies, we feel our feelings, we know what we want, we open to ask for support and connection, and then we let it go. We surrender it to the larger universe and say, I don't need to know the details, this is what I think I want. One of the things that I encourage people to do because people get very emotional about surrendering, (laughs) That's a very emotional thing for people. I always encourage them to also feel into the outcome. You know, maybe I want a million dollars. Well, okay, how are you going to feel when you get that million dollars? What's going to happen when you get that million dollars? And really tap into that feeling state. Bring that into your biofield and then let it go. And then see what magic actually happens. The synchronicities, as you know, that happen. The gifts that are brought to you when when you simply surrender all of it. Um, it's really a beautiful process so you can call it a manifestation process, but really it's a healing process and and it's quite profound. I see this, you know, in patients. I've seen it in myself. It's a wonderful gift. And so these healing keys are available to all of us and, and I detail some practices in that third part of the book.
0: Yeah, one of surrender I find has been so important to me personally, Shamini, and I used to try and imagine things, intend things, visualize things affirmations, vision board, all of those kinds of ways of, of, of having intentions, goals, and I don't have them anymore, because I know when I meditate and I surrender, I just find myself surrendering to the all it is, and the plans and in, intentions and wisdom that the all it is has are so infinitely greater than the ones conceived at the level of my little local mind, that um, it's 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 my local mind actually that's obstructing often the manifestation of the all it is. So I that, that, that key of surrender is is so very important. And you may have the goal or the, the intention of healing. And then that healing might come to you through a pill. It might come to you through allopathic medicine. You know? That's right. It might come to you through a healer like it did for Mira. We just don't know and you open yourself to the mystery and then, you know, the mystery is available to you.
1: Absolutely. And, and what an anxiety lifter, right? Because now we realize we don't have to be in control of everything. And, and that's huge. You know, the biggest antidote to anxiety is surrender. And I know that's a scary term for some folks. And we break it down a little bit in the book. There, there are people that have real issues with this idea. So there are tips that I have on how you know whether you're ready to make a sacrifice or go into surrender. You know, like who's asking? Is someone else asking you to do this or are you asking yourself to do this? What would happen if you went into a surrender process? What would the outcome be? There there are lots of ways to sort of explore and, and know when it's right for you. It's not about abdicating your power. It's about letting go of your conditioned mind.
0: Shamani, in the last minute, <laughs> where is the field going in the next 10 years?
1: Well, that's a wonderful question. I would say the field is going to people understanding really from their own felt sense what the biofield is, moving from this level of academic abstraction into a really palpable thing. And we're going to see this integration into healthcare, not only integrating Reiki and healing touch into hospitals, but doctors working with the biofield. So we can walk into a doctor's office and whoever kind of doctor we see, whether it's a naturopath, MD, or whatever, they're going to be asking us about our spiritual and energetic and mental, emotional, interpersonal, and social health. As well as our physical health because they're all connected. So we're going to understand how deeply interconnected we are and understand that these fundamental aspects of what we call placebo, those fundamental healing elements are going to be present in every healing encounter. That we're going to realize that, you know, we really truly are the medicine. Everything else are just helping cause the conditions for success.
0: Absolutely. And I love that vision of our doctor, our nurse, our medical professional paying as much attention to that. As everything else, what a powerful vision, and I expect to see that happen as well. Thank you so much for what you're doing and what the Conscious Heating Initiative is doing to drive that vision forward. I so appreciate the bridge you're building there, and I know as we keep building those those bridges, people will travel across them, and they'll become chummy. The day will come when energy heating will be normal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that might be a little boring, but that's okay. That's what we want. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Bless you and thank you. And I look forward to the next steps. You've been listening to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. Thank you so much for being here and see you next time round.